Hello, and welcome to the Integrative Palliative Podcast. I'm Dr. Delia Caramonti, an Integrative Palliative Medicine Physician. If you want to improve the well-being of families facing serious illness, that's your patients, but also your own family, you are in the right place. We can heal people's lives even when we can't cure their disease. So let's get started. Welcome. I am Dr. Delia Caramonti, and today we're going to talk about words because words really matter. And the words that we use in regular life, but then specifically when talking about illness and serious illness, can change the way we perceive a situation. And I just think it's really important to talk about words. Now, this may seem weird, because this is the reason that I thought about this topic that struck me as I read something on the internet that has nothing to do with serious illness, but I'm going to read it to you anyway. It says, to the women who are aggressive, keep being assertive. To the women who are bossy, keep on leading. To the women who are difficult, keep telling the truth. To the women who are too much, keep taking up space. To the women who are intimidating, keep asking hard questions. Now, this applies to men too, of course, but the point of that is that the words we use make a difference. And it got me thinking about the words that we use in illness and serious illness. And here are the things that struck me. There are six things, six words or phrases that struck me that it was important to talk about. The first one is fighter. You've heard that, I'm sure. If you have any patients or family members or you yourself have faced a serious illness, you have heard that concept of being a fighter, as in, he's a fighter, we're not going to stop chemotherapy, or you're a fighter, you'll get past this. For some people, that's a great word. And some people find it empowering. I asked this question recently, actually, in our private Facebook group, that if you're a clinician, you're welcome to come join us. Please look at it, the Integrative Palliative Medicine Interest Group. But in that group, I asked the folks there about that concept, that image of a fighter, and did they like it or not? Many people in that group are clinicians, but also have faced cancer themselves. And most people didn't like it, that image. Some people did like it. Some people were a little neutral towards it. But for the people who did like it, they found it empowering. But for the people who didn't like it, and there were more of those, one of the things that came up is that it can feel like a failure. If you're a fighter and then your disease progresses, does that mean you didn't fight hard enough? Does that mean you failed at fighting? Does that mean you have a personal weakness and you were not a strong enough person to fight? So it has a lot of potential negativity if things don't work out so great. And it also only gives one stance, as in, you know, tough, go get them. And, and sometimes people may not feel that way. Sometimes people may feel softer or they may feel sad and they may not feel like fighting. And that, you know, if fighting is what we're going for, if you are sad and having trouble motivating yourself to do whatever the thing is, physical therapy, getting out of bed, going, taking a shower, whatever, then that seems like you're somehow wrong or bad. What I got from that conversation in the Facebook group was some people don't like that image. Personally, I, I never loved it, but I was curious what people felt who had been through it. But some people do. So we also can't assume that people don't like it and that the way we probably should handle it is to ask people. Ask what images or words come up for you when you're thinking about this circumstance that you're in. Fighter imagery may be one, but there are also different images like a tree that bends in the wind but stays strong, a rubber band that gets stretched but doesn't break. So there's all kinds of different imagery and it, it might be helpful 
helpful to throw out a few different options of images for people to think about if they don't come up with one on their own. Okay, so fighter, that's one. The second one that I think is important for us to give some thought to is give up, as in don't tell her she has amyloidosis, she'll give up. Don't tell him his cancer has returned or he'll give up. Now, sometimes there is something to that in that if somebody is depressed, we need to help them not be depressed so that they can be motivated to do the things that will either help stop or cure their disease if that's an option or slow it down if cure is not an option. But often this is a very unhelpful phrase, give up, because it isn't giving up right? Like if you have a disease and it is advancing and the treatments are not expected to give you a fundamental prolongation of your life, but they are expected to give you side effects that will decrease quality of life, choosing not to do that is not giving up. And I think families, sometimes even doctors, but certainly families, sometimes put this kind of pressure on patients to, quote, not give up, which can keep people on treatments, including things that make them feel terrible, like chemotherapy, long past the time that it's actually helping them and maybe decreasing their quality of life, but they feel they don't want to be quitters. Like they're not the kind of people to give up. They're strong. They're fighters, right? They don't want to be the kind of person who will give up. And particularly if their family is looking at them saying, you're not going to give up, are you? So let's try to banish that phrase. And when family members would say that to me, I would often ask them to think about, is there another way we can think about it? As in, is this treatment or plan serving me? Not are you going to give up or fight, but is this serving me? And how do we know if it's serving you? We look at the medical reality, like is it likely to help you in some way, stave off your disease or decrease some symptom? And how much is it going to cost you, not in money, but in terms of reduction of quality of life? So if this, whatever we're considering, prolongs my life significantly and doesn't give me a whole bunch of side effects, then yeah, it serves me. But if it gives me a whole bunch of side effects and it does not prolong my life significantly, maybe it doesn't serve me. And that has nothing to do with whether I'm fighting or giving up. Phrase number three that I think is important for us to think about is starving them to death. So sometimes when somebody gets towards the end of their life, their body is no longer able to process food in the same way and the patient will stop eating or markedly reduce the amount of food that they're eating. Family members sometimes flip out because... Of course, as we talked about last week, we associate food with love. And when we love someone, we feed them. And if we can't feed them, not only do we feel rejected and bad and like, you know, we don't have anything to offer this person, but we also worry they're, quote, starving to death. And of course, we don't want our loved ones to starve to death, for goodness sakes. You know, how can we say to people, oh, don't worry that he's not eating when in their mind, they're thinking that their loved one is starving to death? Who, who among us would let our loved ones starve to death? So we have to make sure to address that phrase. And if somebody, a family member is showing concern about their loved one not eating as they come closer to death, even if they don't use those words, you might even consider saying it like, hey, sometimes people worry that their loved one is starving or starving to death. Is that a thought? that's ever run into your mind. And if they say no, fine, but they may very well say yes, and they just didn't say it out loud. So it's better to put it out on the table so you can talk about it. So what we want to teach people, of course, is they're not starving to death. And feeding somebody at the very end of life actually reduces their quality of life instead of improving it, as we talked about last week. And as people eat less, they go into ketosis, their appetite goes way, 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 way down. They're not hungry for the most part. So they really, truly are not starving to death. If they're close to the end of life, they are dying from whatever their primary disease is. 
They are not dying from not eating. Okay, the fourth one, this one I can't stand. This is one that doctors do, or nurses or nurse practitioners do, saying that someone's, quote, comfort care. So while the philosophy is okay, focusing on comfort, we're all for that, right? Palliative care folks are all for focusing on comfort. But in the medical environment, what, quote, she's comfort care tends to mean is we're not doing anything for her anymore. Like, don't worry about her. She's, quote, comfort care. We're done being hospital doctors for that person. And I'm exaggerating a little bit, of course, I know plenty of you don't feel that way. But it is something that we have to push back against. Because having somebody be near the end of life and stopping intensive ICU care or cardiac meds, etc., does not in any way mean that we are not treating them, right? We're treating them. We are definitely treating them. So in my mind, that phrase, she's comfort care, we could just throw that the heck out. Like that's not necessary. If what we're saying is we're not going to intubate her or we're stopping his antibiotics, let's be specific about what we're talking about because it's not always all or none. It's often not all or none. So we may be continuing antibiotics, but deciding not to intubate or deciding not to have that surgery, but continuing fluids, right? So it's not black or white, all or none. So we just don't ever need to use that phrase, she's comfort care. Let's just talk about what we're continuing and what we're not going to continue. And related, I think, is number five, which is we're going to, quote, stop aggressive care. So it's a related idea, but I want to bring it out separately because I really don't want us to say that either, because we never, never stop aggressive care. We either have aggressive disease-focused care if we're trying to cure someone or prolong their life, or we have aggressive symptom-focused care if prolonging their life or cure is no longer a realistic option then we will aggressively treat their symptoms because we have medical tools that can make people feel better and we will use them aggressively to make sure that every moment that they're here on earth is as good as it possibly can be. So never tell people, do you, you know, do you want aggressive care or not? Or it's time to stop aggressive care. Because again, what family member wants to take away all care from their loved one? Nobody. We wouldn't want that for our own loved ones. But people do understand the difference between aggressive disease-focused care, which we can say, unfortunately, we no longer have anything that will prolong her life. We wish that we did. And if we did, you'd be the first one to have it. But unfortunately, we don't have anything that can prolong her life. But what we do have is an aggressive program for making sure that her symptoms are controlled so that she doesn't suffer and she feels as well as she possibly can. Never say you're going to stop aggressive care. Never ask a family if they want to choose aggressive care or stop aggressive care. Talk about are you doing aggressive disease-focused care or aggressive symptom-focused care. And then the big daddy of them all, the D word, just be willing to say it. Be willing to say death. Be willing to say dying. Be willing to say it. Sometimes family members will even ask, is she dying? And sometimes the physicians will say, well, you know, her, her potassium is a little better. No, just say, yes, I'm so sorry. Unfortunately, I believe that she is dying. Just say the words. And this is going to sound insane, but if you are someone who's uncomfortable saying those words, say them out loud to yourself in front of the mirror. Just say the words. Say death. I think that what we're thinking about now is that death may be coming. I am concerned that your dad is dying. I'm so sorry to tell you but I believe that your dad is dying. Just say the words out loud so they start to feel like normal words. Because the truth is, they're normal words. Because you know what? We're all dying. 
we will all die. This is not a shock. We all know this. We pretend we don't know it, but we know it. And it's just one of the words to describe a thing that is going to happen to everybody. Saying death out loud or dying out loud does not make people die. Okay, check in with yourself about your own magical thinking. If you say, even to the family, I am concerned that he's dying, that is not going to make him die, right? If he's going to die, he's going to die. And if he's not, he's not, whether or not you say those words. So if you feel more comfortable, you can have a qualifier first and say something like, of course, no one knows for sure, but then follow that with, but my professional opinion is, I believe that your mom is dying and I'm so sorry. And if I missed any, if you think of any, email me and let me know. I'll do another podcast if we can come up with another three, four or five words or phrases that that are important to call out. So you can email me at www.integrativepalliative.com. So if you have any ideas about this, particularly what words and phrases we should be careful about, please email me because I'm really interested in this topic. I'd love to do another podcast on this. So remember the ones to think about. Fighter, some people don't like it, some people do. So maybe ask your patients how they feel about that. Giving up, we're not going to say that one. Starving to death, we're not going to say that. She's comfort care, we're not going to say that. Stop aggressive care, we're not going to say that because all care is aggressive, symptom-focused or disease-focused. And we're going to be willing to say death and dying when it's appropriate. Thank you so much for listening. I cannot tell you how important it is to me that you guys are here, that you listen, that you share with your colleagues. I think this topic of whole person care for people with serious illness is so important. And I want to spread the word and I want us all to learn how to do it better. And I want us to lift each other up as we're working with this challenging population, these challenging concepts of illness, symptom management and end of life issues. I just think it's so important. So please, 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 if you liked what you heard, please consider just sending a link or letting one of your colleagues know about it. If you have someone in your network that you think would be interested in this idea of whole person care for people with serious illness, please send them to the podcast so that they can learn with us. All right. Thank you so much. It was great to have you here and I will see you next Thursday. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Integrative Palliative Podcast, brought to you by the Institute for Integrative Palliative Medicine. If you found value in this podcast, please share with a friend or a colleague, subscribe or leave us a review. And to learn about upcoming Integrative Palliative Educational Programs or get on the waiting list for our next Physician Scholars Program, go to www.tiipm.org and sign up, and I'll see you next week.